Hey there. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and on this show, we feature farmers, founders, innovators, and investors shaping the future of the ag industry. Great show for you here today, especially for the entrepreneurs in the audience. We have on the show Joe Dales, who in his current capacity is the co-founder and president of Agri and Food Innovation at RH Accelerator, which is in London, Ontario, Canada. In this episode, we're going to talk to Joe about the importance and the elusiveness of product market fit, meaning creating not just a great product or service, but one the market is actually eager to pay for. We also talk a lot about attracting and retaining talent in the ag industry and the future of work. Joe's extensive experience in bringing innovations to the market really shines through in today's episode. He's been involved in successfully launching over 40 ag tech innovations, ranging from crop protection products to seed varieties to biologicals to software companies. In 1998, he co-founded Farms.com, LTD, and AgCareers.com, which have grown to become a leading supplier of innovative solutions to farmers and agriculture and food companies around the globe. He remains a major shareholder and director. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of today's episode for not only great stuff from Joe, but also a startup spotlight. This one is another Canadian company from a few provinces over in Alberta. Rob Syke makes his third appearance on the show to talk about his newest venture, AgVisor Pro. So make sure you stick around for that at the end of today's episode. First, though, we dive into our episode with Joe Dales. I'll invite you into the conversation where Joe takes us back to the 90s when he left his successful career at American Cyanamid to start his entrepreneurial journey with Farms.com. You know, I, I knew I could always go back and get another job with a life science company. So I knew I had a career opportunity there, but I think I wanted to try being an entrepreneur. And I've always looked at where innovation and agriculture come together and think about how can we help farmers. And I saw this technology in the rural community in Idaho. All of a sudden, you're connected to the, the knowledge and the markets and the information of the world. And so as farmers, I thought this technology wasn't there, but, you know, can we get in early? Software, you know, you can get in early. Content, you can get in early in a modest way. And so we started placing some bets. And uh, I met four students and a prof that were programming these things called websites. And we just started trying to keep the bills paid, even though we knew it was early and most farmers wouldn't, you know, adopt it for years down the road. And we just kind of kept, uh, you know, trying things, experimenting, uh, learning as we went, uh, you know, doing more of the things that worked and less of the things that didn't work. And yeah, it's grown into a great company today. I think roughly 100 staff around the world. We've got offices in uh, Ames, Iowa and Clinton, North Carolina and in Springfield, uh, Missouri, Noonan, Georgia and uh, the UK, Canada and Asia. So uh, nice business. Um, you know, agcareers.com and, and careers and food are doing really well as kind of those indeeds for the sector and uh, Lots of stuff, you know, coming down the pipeline as well. So I've always liked working with early stage founders and entrepreneurs and farmers who I consider are, are very innovative and entrepreneurial and, and so on and uh, try to have a little bit of fun with it and, you know, do some good things. 
you kind of refer to careers in food and ag careers sort of as indeed for the sector. And you hear that a lot in ag tech, which is someone will say, oh, we want to do this, but for ag. And so can you walk through kind of, I imagine that there's sometimes where that's a good thought process and maybe sometimes where it's sort of a flawed thought process, but how do you know when the industry needs something specific for it? Or, you know, how do you look at that? A lot of it has to do with timing and innovations and patience. So when we started agcareers.com, actually my wife championed it. And I still remember with my partner, Darren, programming up the first site. And we just learned as we went. And the first few years, it really wasn't a great business model because the customers weren't ready. The traffic wasn't there. The resumes weren't there. The software was pretty, pretty basic. But we had a vision for it. And I had in my mind, I knew that there was a big marketplace Our competition was print magazines for the most part and telephone calls. And so, you know, we were just persistent with it and patient. And we kind of followed that vision and, you know, invested our time and our passion in that for the first few years. And then all of a sudden it starts picking up some traction. You get users, you get feedback, you get customers, and we're able to take the price points up and start making it a financial success. But it probably took five or six or seven years of patient love and investment, you know, similar to a farm, right? Very seldom do you knock it out of the park on the first at bat. And so, uh, you know, a lot like farming, you have to be patient, you know, think of it like an orchard. You've got a few years to uh, nurture those trees before they start bearing fruit. And so technology is a lot like that. And I think the more you do of it, the more you have a feel, you know, for me, I love talking to farmers and learning from them. A lot of times they'll tell you, no, I don't see it. But then you'll get the flash once in a while from somebody who goes, hey, that's a cool idea. It's going to save me time and money. And so my brother and some of my friends are uh, my focus groups on one. They might not be there today. They might not be there tomorrow. But if it's a good idea and, you know, you keep improving things, you'll get them there eventually. And you have, I mean, in uh, several of these ventures, you you have been early and you've had to be patient, like what you just mentioned. Did you know from the outset that you were kind of early? And how do you plan for that of saying like, hey, it may take us five years or so to really kind of get some traction with this. How do you plan for that as an entrepreneur? It's don't run out of cash and be patient and... Hindsight is wonderful. Um, We've had a lot of things that didn't work, but the things that did work worked enough to pay the bills for the mistakes we made. You know, I guess if I knew now, you know, 20 years ago, I would have invented Google. Should have doubled down and been more aggressive. You know, it's just being good at business and experienced and taking care of customers, playing that long game, you know, trying to do good. You know, it's a lot like farming. A lot of those lessons that we've learned, helping neighbors, being patient, work in technology. Now, they don't always work in technology because sometimes you run out of cash or you fail on some of these things, even though timing, you know, in a couple more years, all of a sudden that would have been a great idea because smartphones were invented or, uh, you know, video on the internet, YouTube was invented. So, So some of those ideas, it's a little bit about timing. And it's a lot about business. So you fund the ones that work, you kind of mothball and uh, take care of the projects and the ideas that didn't work and just try to keep moving them all forward. 
traction is something that all businesses are striving for. You know, if you've got businesses from the ones that just started in someone's basement to the ones that have $100 million in venture capital, everybody's sort of like looking for traction. Can you talk about that? Like you've experienced it, you know, true product market fit that leads to real business traction multiple times. And you've also seen where it doesn't happen. I think that's kind of what we're all searching for, at least in, you know, a lot of listeners of this podcast is like, how do we really achieve true product market fit that gets us real traction? You know, what kind of lessons have flowed to the top for you on, on doing that? It's really rare. And it's a little bit like fishing. Sometimes, you know, you'll have a big fish on there. So in my career, I've had three or four times where product market fit has been fast enough that you could feel the thing really taking off. I got to launch a product called Pursuit in Canada on peas and canola. And that product was so technically superior to everything that was in the marketplace. We went from zero to, I don't think, 75 million in three years. And we're stocking out and, you know, that one, we knew we had product market fit. I've seen it a few other times on software and technology. Um, we're working with a small company now called Vidhug, V-I-D-H-U-G.com. And during the Corona crisis here, you know, a young guy put a software app and website up and it went viral for him customers, you know, coming out of the woodwork, huge sales very quickly. And it was a nice, simple concept at the right place at the right time. And it did really well for him, grew faster than he expected. So, so you see it every once in a while, things like ag careers, we didn't have product market fit for probably five years. You know, people weren't on the internet. They didn't know how to use the technology, but you just keep moving it forward, hopefully investing wisely and then all of a sudden, you know, it takes off and the sales are ahead of plan. The profits grow. That's why I like software. It's a high margin business. It's unique. You don't have quite crazy regulatory like you do with some of the biotech and things like that and, and crop protection. And so you'll know when you get product market fit. You definitely know when you don't have it because there's crickets. I'll take it to my brother or my best friend um, and say, hey, what do you think of this? And they'll go, that's nice, but they aren't going to use it. So, you know, it's either they're not quite there. They don't see the value. The technology is not quite there. Sometimes you have to do two or three things to get them to see the value and they just won't put the work in. And so, you know, things like the smartphone has really opened it up. Apps are easier. People get used to it. Sometimes it's just the marketplace rising up on the other side to meet you. So, Understanding that, I think, is really critical. Building it sometimes the easiest part. You know, it's the education, it's the branding, it's the getting people using it and using it with their data and their content because software can only do pieces of it unless their data is in there, unless they're using the technology, they don't know what the benefit is. And so sometimes they have to do the work or that data acquisition, if you can enable it without them doing the work and showing them some of that value. I think, you know, software's certainly got easier and uh, improved over time and now we're integrating it. And so it's easier to pull data from one source and with APIs and move it around. I'm pretty excited about, you know, the future of this stuff, but you'll know when you have product market fit and you definitely know when you don't. Yeah. And I think that's part of the challenge is, uh, you know, when you don't, 
but you don't know how close you are to <laughs> it's it's hard to really assess in between the not having it to the having it like am i a day away or am i 10 years away it's hard to tell and you don't want to run out of cash right right you know? so we've yeah. seen dead soldiers all over the field because you know these companies they spent you know aggressively so i spend a lot of time with young founders and young entrepreneurs and uh Usually my first question is, what's your runway and what are you spending your cash on? And are you starting to see traction before you spend a couple hundred thousand on Google AdWords? Because you can go through that money so quickly and not get the traction you want. And then your options are really limited when you can't pay your bills and you have to lay off staff and so on. So for me, you know, just really conserving cash being patient, playing that long game, playing that infinite game and keep learning, keep developing, keep making it easier. Yeah. One thing I've thought about lately with product market fit, I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on it is sometimes it gets reduced down to problem and solution. But one thing that I think maybe gets glossed over is sometimes what we think is a pain point, let's say for a farmer, may be a problem. But if it's not truly felt, if it's not a real acute pain point, like, yes, I have that problem. It's kind of like farmers are tough and they'll almost say, yeah, I mean, it's an inconvenience, but whatever. It has to be more than just a problem. The solution has to be like a really felt pain point. Have you run into that? Yeah. And, you know, I think it's partly because I use my brother and my best friend as examples. They're really busy guys. And so pain it's got to have a capital P and it's got to, you know, my brother tells me all the time, yeah, that looks really cool, but it's got to be simple. I don't have an IT guy here. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And so it's got to be really straightforward, obvious for him. They don't want to be first because they know being first, they're testing software, they're finding the bugs, they're doing all these things. So it's a real challenge. Our sector isn't a true consumer sector. It's more B2B than, uh, you know, B2C because every decision can be hugely costly if they make a bad decision, you know, on selecting a crop or where they spend their time. And they've got a to-do list usually a mile long, especially in season. So giving them a new scouting app or giving them a new tool, you better show them how it'll save them time and money and that it's proven and that they're not first before they start spending a lot of time. And I think in the past, we have launched so many things at so many people and some of the ideas were a little bit half-baked that, you know, they've got to see it coming from a long way off. With agcareers.com and with Careers and Food, your clients, your customers are ag companies that are food companies that want to hire. And farms.com, I, I imagine you're still selling advertising as part of that model. How has the consolidation in ag that's happened over your entrepreneurial career impacted that market for you? Yeah, it's been a challenge, right? It's not just the big companies, uh, you know, the big crop protection. It's we sell software to the pork sector. And so there's a lot fewer pig producers today than there was 20 years ago. And so they're larger and they're more sophisticated. So I think that's just part of our sector is always in dynamic change in technology and innovation, sometimes even spur that on. So uh, I think we've been fortunate because we're pretty diverse. We've got a lot of customers. We never really got too many large ones. And so when some of the crop protection or seed companies combined, 
we're able to pick up other business and weather the choppy markets. Well, Ad Careers has certainly, you know, grown into a industry recognized brand for talent in agriculture. And obviously you wouldn't have been able to grow these various enterprises over the years without having a good eye for talent. So could you talk a little bit about sort of the talent landscape in agriculture as it sits currently and how that's been instrumental to you in, in your entrepreneurial journey? You know, for me, um, that's the key to success in basically all these businesses. We can have great ideas but it's all the execution. So it's uh, having people like you being passionate about podcasting and, and developing your own brand. I and mean, it's the same with all these businesses. I think in the past, because of physical labor and we haven't trained as much as we need to going forward and talent motivating them and training them, you know, are really the keys, I think, for the successful farm and the successful agribusiness going forward. Just about every company I'm dealing with, talent is the number one issue. They could scale, they could do things a lot more quickly, but there's a farmer or there's a CEO and he needs four more highly motivated, highly skilled, highly networked individuals to help them grow the business. If you're a unit of one, you can only go so far. And I think in agriculture, you know, we know it's important, but we've maybe neglected it a little bit. And, you know, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this because you've been looking for talent uh, everywhere and it's hard to find great people and to hold on to them and keep them motivated and really keep them productive. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I haven't been around long enough to know for sure, but I can know what people tell me, which is it used to be that people wanted to show up for good, honest days work and collect a good, honest paycheck and have their family and maybe a little bit more content with that, where people maybe my age and, and younger are looking for the next thing. Like we see our life maybe more as an adventure and we're looking for what's around the next turn. And that can be difficult for an employer that, hey, I pay you a good wage and benefits but why is that not enough for you is sort of the a question that I sense is out there. I think that's maybe changed a little bit. In my opinion, ag probably has a ways to go to sort of close the gap in a lot of cases. There's certainly leaders out there that are doing a great job at this. But I think in general, we're wondering why that's not enough anymore. Yeah, good points. And I, I think the world's changed too, right? Before you were born and raised and you stayed close to home maybe and you only had so many options. Now the world's very small and the opportunities are immense and agriculture and food and our farmers and our agribusiness are going to have to compete for great talent. The other thing we're not really good at in agriculture and, you know, I'd like your thoughts too on this is attracting talent from outside our sector. There's so few farm kids left anymore because there's so few farmers when you really look at the numbers. And so the pool that we draw our talent from keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller, you know, and it takes some real training to take a city kid and make him effective in agriculture. You know, growing up on a farm, you learn when it's dry and when it's wet and what weeds are what weeds, but a city kid's never experienced any of that. And so bringing those people on, onboarding them, setting them up for success, we need to be patient sometimes we're not very patient, uh, you know, in our sector because we're under the gun a lot of times to get the crops in and get the crops off and go, go, go. And it's been traditionally a pretty lean and mean small business. So most farmers, very few of them would have an HR department, right? 
So um, it's one of those things that we know is important. It's becoming more important. We'll just have to keep working at it. Does COVID change any of this as far as, let me give you kind of a vague theory here, but if we become more comfortable with remote work, obviously in agriculture, a lot of the work has to be location dependent. If you're going to run a feed mill, you got to be at the feed mill. If you're going to be a farm manager, you have to be at the farm, et cetera. But for these jobs that maybe sales, marketing, et cetera, that are open to being flexible because of COVID-19 restrictions, do we start to see employers look at their talent a different way rather than somebody who shows up at the office every day to somebody who could just achieve an outcome and maybe more of a you know loose view of what employment looks like. Are you sensing any of that on the horizon? Yeah, that's, I think, really good points. And I think COVID has actually pushed the innovation forward very quickly. And I have farmers now that send me their Zoom conference links. We used to call them on the phone all the time. Now they're adopting some of these new technologies and learning about them. We weren't allowing anybody out on the farm. So if they wanted a sales rep to share some information or give them some data or help them plan their crop, they were starting, you know, some of them setting up for Zoom calls and remote. Um, and I think the marketing people and the sales people and the general management are seeing the productivity gains because you can get eight or 10 hour long calls in in a day with things like Zoom versus three or four when jumped in the pickup truck and driving around out there. So I think it's actually helping us be even more productive. And really, it's uh, the whole industry benefits if information flows and uh, we get more work done and more accomplished with less expense. Yep, I fully agree. In fact, it was uh, a couple months ago, I had three different uh, what would have been in-person speaking engagements, but ended up being basically webinars. And I thought about that at the end of the week. I'm like, first of all, I would not have been able to say yes to all three of these. I may have gotten two in, but if I had said yes to two of them, I wouldn't have got anything else done all week. But I basically worked a full week and got those three engagements in. And I don't know as far as audience turnout, but I, I know I've heard from others who are moving things to virtual that they're actually getting more attendees because of the travel costs. And of course, it probably helps right now that everybody's home. But I think it's really interesting. And I just wonder, you know, if I'm an employer and I had an employee that had to show up at the office every day and now they don't. And so what I'm seeing essentially is the outcomes from them. Do I start looking at them more as outcomes and maybe start being open to things like freelancers to do that job in the future? And I think that'll be interesting to see how that sort of develops. The future of work, I think, is really going to be fascinating as we go forward. And I've had a few of those same experiences. I was asked to judge a, um, a startup competition. And because of COVID, we moved it virtually. And the organizers told me last year they had 120 people come to their event. This year, virtually, they had over 500. So I don't know, with less expense, I don't know that you would go back to the physical event or you do a combination. Yeah, really fascinating times. And I agree with you. I, I'm on the board of a couple of agricultural companies and Typically, our board meetings are you fly in, you have dinner, day of meetings, and maybe another day of meetings, and then you fly home, and it usually eats a whole week. We're getting those meetings done in four and five hours on Zoom, and all of a sudden, I've got a whole free week that I can do something else more productive and didn't spend any money with the airlines, which 
I think you and I don't mind uh, <laughs> planes, trains, and automobiles. Right. No, you're absolutely right. I think that's uh, it's an interesting development. And as I think about a million takes on how COVID will impact X, Y, and Z, but as I look at things, you know, that seems to be the most substantial is that, oh, we don't have to be in person all the time. Maybe in your board situation, if they're quarterly meetings, maybe once a year you get together in person and do the other three virtually. I think uh, we definitely see more of that. You mentioned kind of a startup competition. I know your latest project uh, that at least that I'm aware of is this accelerator. Can you talk about that some? So for the last 20 years, I've been pretty much focused on farms.com. There's so many neat technologies coming down the pipeline. We got a lot of help when we got started. And I realized and I had a couple of partners that had one had sold his business and one had extra capacity. And so I thought for the next 10, 12 years of my career, uh, make a bit of a change. And farms.com was in pretty good shape. So we put a succession plan in place and I popped out. And so yeah, we're trying to leverage up our experience, our skill sets, our networks, and our ability to raise money with some really early stage uh, founders. And, you know, we'll try to help them take their products to market, give them a fighting chance because we know how hard it is to bring these innovations, how hard it is and how long it takes. And so, yeah, that's what we're trying to do with RH Accelerator. And I wasn't sure... A year ago, if there were very many companies out there, because I wasn't really paying attention, but uh, I think this year alone, I talked about 200 plus early stage companies and founders. Every day, there's somebody new coming out, you know, finding somebody new and, and really good ideas. Now, will they be successful? It's hard to take an idea and turn it into a great company, but um, it's been really, a, really an enjoyable Challenging year, but one of the best I've had in the last few uh, because, you know, I'm learning new things about artificial intelligence and machine learning and sensors and, you know, all this great technology that I think is going to impact positively on agriculture and food going forward. What are you finding are the key differentiators in, you know, let's say those 200 you talked to from ones that you think, yeah, they belong in the accelerator from maybe the ones who aren't ready yet? It's the people thing, right? It's the founder. Why are they doing this? Are they paying the price? Have they done the homework? Have they trained themselves? So for me, we look at the product and the concept. Where is it? Do we like it? And then quickly we move right to the founders. What do we think of them? Do they know the sector? You know, you know they want to do something on dairy farms. Are they from a dairy family? Unless you're from it and really intimately knowledgeable about the sector, or willing to pay the price and go out and visit your higher risk. So really for us, it's the founders and finding that young, hungry talent that we were like 20 plus years ago and then nurturing it and, you know, fostering it going forward. You know, that's the, the exciting part for me. Well, decades ago, you, you saw the internet. I don't know if you would say you knew it was coming, but you definitely saw that it was an opportunity. As you look now in 2020, what are you looking forward and saying, boy, there's sure opportunity developing here? I think, you know, your podcast is an example of what excites me, right? It's software. It's the sensors producing huge amounts of data. You know, it's e-commerce. You know, I know you had uh, the intent guys on. They're proving out the biotech, uh, Randy and Kevin. Our sector is so big and adopts innovation, you know, just not quickly, but it does adopt it relatively quickly. 
And so communicating, you know, even things like these podcasts, uh, you've built a brand and you've built a following relatively quickly. So all these technologies are swirling around in our sector. And it's just how do we how do we onboard them? How do we get them up and running? And how do we f- help farmers get the value out of them? Because once they do that, then there's real companies there. So sensors, big data, all the analytics, the machine learning algorithms, biotech is being unlocked, robotics, automation. I feel a bit like a kid in a candy store. There's so many different things that could be the next you know, big thing. And even if they're not a big thing, they can be substantial things in our sector because, you know, our sector globally is one of the huge big industries that nobody really knows about unless you've kind of been brought up into it. The city kids don't wake up every morning going, how can I disrupt the agriculture and food supply chain? You know, I wake up every day trying to help farmers save money, make money through innovation. And uh, I've had enough success, uh, still love doing it every day. It gets me moving early in the morning and very passionate about it and I feel good in some small way we're helping feed the world so it's pretty easy to uh, to remain motivated and then I love working with these young founders so yeah if people want to find me they can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter and you know I'm happy to connect and maybe I can help you know, look forward to supporting your efforts as well Well, great conversation there with Joe Dales. I think it's so valuable to sit down with someone like that who has decades of experience in the trenches and is willing to share generously his time and lessons he's learned along the way. As he mentioned, you can find him on LinkedIn or be sure to follow him on Twitter at Joe underscore Dales. And speaking of an entrepreneur with decades in the trenches, it's time for our startup spotlight. Longtime listeners will recognize today's startup founder as Rob Syke, who has been on this podcast back in episode 95 and again on episode 166. His latest venture is an interesting one. It's called AgVisor Pro. And as Rob explains, it's an idea that comes from his successful entrepreneurial journey with AgriTrend that he started in the 90s and sold to Trimble in 2015. If I was to do it all over again, how would I do it? Would I do it the same as I did with AgriTrend? And AgriTrend was great. It was heavily people-focused, though, with layers and layers of human people. It's very expensive and hard to scale. And then I began to think about, well, what if we fuse together some technologies, Tim? What if we fuse together eHarmony with Uber and FaceTime and Twitter? And what if we fuse those together And I built a PowerPoint deck and shared it with a bunch of farmers. And they said, you know, Rob, that's a pretty good idea. And so we struck the company, AgVisor Pro, uh, late 2018, beginning 2019. That was the genesis, Tim. That's what started me down the path of developing a brand new connectivity platform. I I keep using those words because uh, AgVisor Pro is not a consulting firm. It's a connectivity platform. And so that was the genesis. So it all began through the 20 years of of AgriTrend experience. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. A a connectivity platform that combines elements of eHarmony, Uber, FaceTime, and Twitter. But to simplify it all a bit, AgVisor Pro is an app that's available on your phone, either your Android or your iOS device or computer, where you can tap into agricultural expertise on demand. And vice versa, anyone with agricultural expertise can be paid to answer those questions. 
The number of times through the course of the year when a farmer could reach out to really talk to people with deep domain expertise that could help the farming operation are numerous. And so the farms that I talk to, like many of them have agronomists that are working with them, or many of them have veterinarians that are working with them. But geez, if the market's moving, you need access to a, to a marketing person. And so the farmers told me that what they sensed was AgVisor Pro would give them instant access to an entomologist when they needed to talk to an insect guy. AgVisor Pro would give them instant access to a marketing guy with deep domain marketing experience when they wanted to talk to somebody about marketing. And so it created a, a way for farmers to, first of all, find these people, because a lot of times farmers don't even know who has deep domain knowledge in a certain area. And secondly, in some cases, a farmer just wants a second opinion. Uh, he got one opinion from maybe his agri-retailer, and he wants a second opinion. And so those are the things that came up in the uh, focus groups that I had with farmers prior to striking the company. The app allows people to not only ask their questions and to find expertise in areas where they need help, but also to seamlessly complete the entire consultation all within the app. It's all built inside AgVisor Pro. You never leave the app. So it defaults to audio. I can ask you to switch to video and show me the bugs that you're looking for. Uh, I can ask you to take a high resolution picture inside of the application. I can chat back to you. I can share with you URLs all inside the application. The session is archived for your future reference. So you can, or I can go back and say, what did he say again? And I can go back and, and review what was in the archive session. So that builds up a library for the farmer. Uh, then there's a rating system after that tied to social media. And then a transaction happens. Now, that transaction, depending on the experience of the advisor, may be $30 to $60 to, to solve that problem with that session. Or if the farmer is connecting to an industry uh, connection, like uh, Taurus Fertilizer, for example, uh, that connection is free. That's called a tech direct connection. And the connection between farmers or seekers and the industry is free. This tech direct connection is certainly an interesting feature. I mean, in this case, AgVisor Pro is not just Uberizing agricultural knowledge and expertise. They are, in a way, reinventing the customer service experience for agricultural companies. I asked Rob if he'd share a little bit more about Tech Direct. So, uh, get another example Patterson Liquid Systems. They're a liquid system manufacturer out of Saskatchewan. They make uh, liquid carts, liquid fertilizer carts, and and liquid uh, distribution systems and spraying systems. So uh, Patterson Liquid Systems is a tech direct partner with AgVisor Pro. So what we did was we registered their company, Patterson Liquid Systems. We registered proprietary products and services they offer, and we registered up to 10 of their reps. So instead of a farmer going, what's the 1-800 number for Patterson and dialing the 1-800 number? The 1-800 number you get on hold, you can never get the right answers. It is a lackluster experience at best. You go on AgVisor Pro, Tim, and you go Patterson, and instantaneously you're connected to the tech reps from Patterson that are available uh, to answer your question, and it's free. So the connection between the farmer or the seeker and the expert that's a tech direct expert is free. So Keg River Sulfur, for example, you can go on there and punch a question about Keg River or Keg River Sulfur, bang, 
you're connected instantaneously to their technical expertise. I don't like the word disintermediation because it speaks of disruption and stuff, but transformation, I think we're going to transform and potentially disintermediate the 1-800 number. Why should you have to go to a 1-800 number? A farmer with AgVisor Pro on there, if we do our job and we get enough tech direct companies on board, Tim, you'd have to go to one place and then you'd punch in whatever the name of the company is and automatically be connected to their technical reps. And we built the scheduling in and all the stuff to do all the tracking and, and stuff for the companies into the system. Well, even though the company is still new, and I mean, Rob was busy as CEO of DOT until he led that company to being acquired by Raven Industries less than a year ago, they already have a pretty impressive lineup of experts. So Tom Wolf, he goes by at Nozzle Guy on Twitter. Tom Wolf is one of the leading sprayer experts in the agricultural domain. He's available on AgVisor Pro. Uh, when I first introduced AgVisor Pro to Tom, his eyes lit up and he says, you know, I, I don't sell anything. I don't sell chemical. I don't sell sprayers. I don't sell nozzles. I make my money by selling my wisdom. And people always call me and say, hey, Tom, can I pick your brain? And he says, I don't want my brain picked. I want my brain paid for. And so we figured out a way to monetize his brain. Another expert is Elaine Fraze. She's out of Manitoba. She deals with human and family dynamics inside of farming operations. So she is a person that you could tap into say listen i'm having i'm having a real hard time with a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law or my son and i we aren't getting along and elaine can offer some coaching right to you live on agvisor pro another example is scott mears who's a an entomologist a really deep domain knowledge he was the provincial entomologist here in, in alberta he's on agvisor pro or or derek squire is one of the best marketing guys in the business I know when it comes to grain marketing. And, and Derek and I go way back to the agri-trend days, and he's on AgVisor Pro. So we've got uh, beekeepers on AgVisor Pro, bee experts. You know, one of my neighbors, I have a lot of moles in my yard right now, and she's an expert mole trapper. And she says, can I put myself on AgVisor Pro as a mole expert? Shit, yes. <laughs> Well, as you can tell, the types of knowledge and experience really run the gamut. Anyone can submit themselves to AgVisor Pro to be vetted and ultimately possibly included as an expert on the platform. But there's another important point here we're missing. This is not just for experts to help farmers. In many cases, the best experts are farmers themselves. This allows those farmers that want to monetize their expertise to do so. If farmers or anybody out there has deep domain knowledge in farm software like uh, Climate Field View, Granular, or, or Trimble Ag Software, they could list themselves as a software expert and help other people in the sector. It could be other farmers helping other farmers. You, you and I both know that farmers are freaking brilliant people, and they have deep domain expertise in some areas. In fact, I would argue that many of the technologies being utilized Farmers are the number one expert. And if a farmer can put himself up as an expert on AgVisor Pro, then he can get paid. He can monetize his brain for helping agronomists or other farmers learn the technology that he's already learned. Last but certainly not least, we can't ignore the elephant in the room. In a year where most of us are having to work remotely, something like this during COVID-19 is not only nice to have, 
but a necessity. But coming through COVID, people are starting to realize that technology can shrink time and space. We can stretch brains and not bodies, just as we're doing right now. We can solve problems from a distance. I can ask you to show me pictures of the lower leaves of a plant and the upper leaves, and I can help you diagnose whether that's a sulfur or nitrogen deficiency or whether iron or zinc or manganese are playing a role in the chlorosis of the plant. You follow what I'm saying? I don't need to be by your side to get my wisdom into your brain. I can do it through your handheld device. So I think that COVID will spawn a new awareness. I mean, I'm grieving the loss of the summer shows, but the summer shows are going to go digital. We're hoping to play a part of that. I don't grieve being on an airplane twice a week. I don't miss that. I do miss uh, the collaboration that goes on with people. However, I think we're going to learn that in agriculture, being such a disparate business, these farms are flung far and wide. Phil Needham, for example, is on our on our Agvisor Pro as an expert. He is a wheat guy out of Kentucky. We got Matt Ramage out of Paducah, Kentucky. Matt is a corn guy. And so we can have this expertise that's really deep available to anybody on the planet in real time. And I think this particularly changes the way that the younger farming generation interacts with experts, the screenagers. I think the screenagers are used to utilizing their technology to double and triple check advice. I think AgVisor Pro fits perfectly into that scenario. Always appreciate hearing from Rob Syke. So go have a look for yourself by downloading the AgVisor Pro app on iOS, Android, or desktop, or by visiting their website, www.agvisorpro.com. Thanks so much for hanging with me through today's episode. What a treat to speak to a couple giants in the Canadian ag tech industry. I really appreciate your time and attention, and I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Ag innovation.